Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I'd like to ask you to stay with me. As always, we have a short time of motivation, a whole lot of inspiration, a whole lot of education, but absolutely, absolutely no manipulation. That's right, no games, no gimmicks, no appeals for money, no asking you to join up, fess up, give up, nothing like that. This show is simply about giving you some accurate information. The information, I hope, will help you verify as well as identify God's plan for your life. And uh, if you're able to do that, you can orient and adjust to the plan. That's up to you. But my job is to get it and get it accurate. And so we have the flight line every Sunday morning here on this radio station. Thank you for listening. We're going through the reason that we call it the flight line, F-L-O-T. It stands for forward line of troops, and we're using a military analogy about how you can uh, erect a defensive perimeter in your soul based on God's wonderful problem-solving devices. And if you do that, then you can very possibly stop the outside sources of adversity before they ever become the inside sources of stress, because we know adversity is always inevitable, but I also know that stress is optional because that's not part of the Christian life. And so we've been through eight of those problem-solving devices, and we're going to go through nine and ten, and I hope you'll stick with me as we go through these, and I hope you'll remember them. I have written them in a book. If you'd like to have a copy of the book, contact us by our website, recuseministries.org. We'll send you the book free, no charge, ever for anything that we do, and we will never write to you again and ask you for anything. Just let us know you'd like to have that book called Christian Problem Solving. We'll get it right out to you in the mail. So thank you for listening today. Thank you for being with me. Let's get into it. Problem Solving Device number nine in the believer's life. An essential problem solving device is called sharing the happiness of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to have. You know, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people that we don't even like. And so life is basically sometimes, for some people, the frantic search for happiness. And unfortunately, unhappy people always take their unhappiness with them wherever they go. And so let's look at what the Bible says about happiness. In Luke eleven twenty-seven and 28, if you'll let me start there, the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking to a group of people and he was interrupted by a certain woman. This is what the Bible says. And it came to pass, as he spoke these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice, and she said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bore thee, and the breast which nursed thee. When the Bible says lifted up her voice, this means she shouted above the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be like someone standing up in church and shouting above what the preacher was saying. She wanted to be heard. And then the Bible goes on to say, but he said, that's Jesus Christ our Lord, yea, rather, that's the thundering diction of the dear King James Bible. I don't know exactly what he said, but I think he would have said something like, that's not true. And then he went on to say, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So what we like to do on this radio show is to break down the verse for you to go into the uh, etymology of the verse, to do the exegesis of the verse, 
and to lift out the biblical conclusions in the verse. So we start off with a certain woman lifted up her voice. The Greek word for voice is phone, P-H-O-N-E, sound like phone, doesn't it? Phone. And lifted up is a verb, epiro, E-P-A-I-R-O. She lifted up. The aristactive participle meant that she talked louder than Jesus. Now, why would this woman do this? Why would she talk louder than Jesus, raise her voice so loud that everyone turned to stare at her? I'm going to say she had an emotional experience. I'm going to say, and this is my opinion, that she felt like what she had to say was more important than what Jesus had to say. Maybe she was looking for attention. Maybe she needed some approbation. Maybe she needed some reaffirmation. I don't know what she needed, but she interrupted the Savior's message, and that's got to be, that's got to be a little bit of arrogance to assume that what you have to say is more important than what the Son of God has to say. And yet that's how people think sometimes. I've been in churches, and you have too, where people think their opinion is wrong and is right and the Bible is wrong. I've seen that before. I've heard people voice their opinion over what the Bible says. Well, this woman interrupted the Savior's message. And he, well, you say, well, what was he talking about? Well, he was talking about how the Pharisees blasphemed the Holy Spirit by attributing his miracles to the works of Satan. That's what he was talking about. And uh, so most of the whole passage there in Luke is dealing with demon possession of unbelievers. So maybe, maybe this woman was demon-induced to interrupt Jesus Christ. We don't know. We don't know if she was a believer, but we do know she was definitely demon-influenced to interrupt his message. What she was trying to do was to divert Christ's message away from the subject The subject was demon possession. And the Lord had a a, a fantastic insight, eistasis we call it, insight, to see what the real issue is. You see, he had just finished admonishing Martha for her griping about having to fix the food by herself in Luke 10, 38 through 42. And uh, he went on to say that Mary chose the right thing. And Martha, you're focusing on the wrong thing. But anyhow, this woman shouted out, blessed is the word she used, blessed. Now, here's the key word in this passage. Blessed is a Greek word called makairios, M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S, makairios. That is a word that could be translated happy or happiness. So what she basically said is that happiness is the womb that bore thee. Koilia, K-O-I-L-I-A, the womb, koilia, means the hollow. And uh, she wanted to make an issue out of the womb of Mary. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ went from the womb to the tomb, but neither one of them could hold him. That's interesting. So here's the principle. One, happiness is not related to the womb. You may think if you get pregnant, you'd be happy. You would think if your daughter gets pregnant, you'll be happy and have grandchildren. Uh, I have four children, and I can assure you happiness is not related to the womb. Bearing children, point two, will not fulfill your life. It may complicate your life. It may give you some sort of joy, but it's not the source of the happiness in the Christian's life. 
Family life, family fun, family time together is certainly enjoyable, but it is not the happiness I'm talking about under the problem-solving device of plus H, sharing the happiness of God. I mean, mothers can, point three, have great pride in their children, but it's not God's happiness. So this whole thing, I think, was a trap to lure him down the wrong road that he did not need to go down to get into a discussion about his mother's womb or his mother's breast, because she brought that up also. She said, happiness is the womb that bore you, and happiness are the breast, mastos, M-A-S-T-H-O-S, happiness are the breast that suckled you, and that meant to nurse him. Thalazo is the Greek word, T-H-E-L-A-Z-O, thalazo. And Jesus corrected this woman, as he rightfully should. Yea, rather. Uh, This is a very strong correction. Uh, M-E-N-O-U-N, menown, yea, rather, or wrong, or I don't think so. I don't think he was rude. Uh, I don't think he yelled at her, but I think he looked her right in the eyes, and I think he said, you are wrong, lady. And then he said the same word she said, blessed, which was makarios. Happiness, he said are those that hear my Father's word, and the word for hear is akuo. It means to listen and understand, not to be deaf, but to perceive the sense of the message of what's being taught. You know, there's one thing about what's being taught, another thing about what really is being taught. So happiness is to perceive the sense of the message. What is the message really saying? To understand it and keep it. Keep it is another verb, fulasso. That means to keep an eye on it or to guard it. So let's get a couple of principles here. The words of Jesus Christ, number one, are a great treasure to be guarded. The Bible uses the word treasure, and the English translation is thesaurus. You know what a thesaurus is. It's a word treasure. And the words of our Lord Jesus Christ can make you rich spiritually. They are much more valuable than gold or silver, I assure you. And James 1.22, the writer says, Don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer. And the reason is because hearers deceive their own selves. Be ye doers of the word to keep it, to keep what you hear. You must metabolize it and apply it into your soul. What do I mean by that? All right, keep this in mind. You go to church. You listen to your pastor. You might even have some notes given to you. You may even write your notes down. I don't know. But you comprehend what he teaches if you're in fellowship with God. Now, let's back up. Here's the pastor. He's in the pulpit. He's teaching God's word. And you're in the pew. And are you in fellowship? Do you have unconfessed sin in your life? Because if you have unconfessed sin in your life, the Holy Spirit is quenched and grieved, and he can't capture what the pastor is communicating. In order for you to comprehend it, he must capture it and convert it into what we call pneumatikos. You see, this is spiritual information. The Holy Spirit does this. You know, we have to have spiritual assistance to live the spiritual life. 
We cannot live it in the energy of the flesh. And so the Holy Spirit's ministry is exactly what Jesus said it would be in John 16. When he comes, he will teach you all things and bring these things to your remembrance. So if you're out of fellowship with God by committing sin, and you haven't dealt with your sin, which is problem-solving device number one, called rebound, as per 1 John 1, 9, then the Holy Spirit is quenched and he cannot do his job. So if you want to keep it, then you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to make sure you're in fellowship with God. You can't be out of fellowship and live the Christian life. You can try to live it in the energy of the flesh, but it's not the Christian life. You can submit to rules and regulations and be a a legalistic weirdo refusing to drink Coca-Cola or eat peanuts even. But that doesn't mean you're spiritual. That doesn't mean you're in fellowship with God. Sooner or later, you have to metabolize what the pastor teaches. And what that means is you have to cycle it from your mind where, let's go back to the concept, the pastor communicates it, the Holy Spirit captures it if you are in fellowship, and you comprehend it, which means you now understand what the pastor taught. But now you have to comply with the information. There's four C's, communicate, capture, comprehend, and comply. When you comply, that means you're keeping it, you're obeying it. And the Bible says, if you love me, you'll obey me, and my mandates are not grievous. This is what our Lord said. So this woman was saying that happiness was related to a mother's womb. But Jesus said happiness is related to the word of God. He made a definite issue. No one can be happy because of who their mother is. We are happy because sharing the happiness of God because of what the Bible says. The living word of God in your soul has the ability to give you great happiness in the middle of great testing. You know, The English Bible uses a lot of words for happiness, joy, uh, rejoice, happiness. Uh, Joy is a state of happiness in which something causes you to be happy. Happiness is a state of well-being characterized by a, a relative contentment in your life of some sort. And there are even words in the Old Testament for happiness, like eshor, which means blessed or blessedness, and ashir, which means happiness. But the Greek word kara, joy, or makarios, blessed or happiness, these are all words that are translated in the Bible, happiness. But if you want to understand what the Bible is speaking about, when it says that you can have true happiness, you can have the happiness of God in your life as a problem-solving device, let me go to Proverbs 3, 13 and 18. And and I'm going to read this out of the Net Bible. Here's the way it sounds. Happy, and that's the Hebrew word eshor. Happy is the one who finds. The word finds is the Hebrew word matzah. It means to acquire or to learn or to attain. So happy is the one who obtains wisdom and the one who obtains something else understanding. Happiness belongs to the one who finds wisdom and to the one who obtains understanding. There is the source of true happiness. Understanding, the Hebrew word taboon, means skill or or ability to understand, comprehend. 
means spiritual intelligence. And if you want to be happy, you can find happiness in the wisdom of understanding God's Word. This gives you the option so you don't have to walk around in a fog all the time trying to figure out what you're supposed to do because, you know, Satan's myth that he promotes all the time is that people and pleasant circumstances in life can make you happy. Well, that's just not true. Uh, No person has the ability to make you happy. They may stimulate you for a while. You may enjoy being around them for a while, but it's not the happiness that God's talking about. No. When, When the Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross in Hebrews 12, 2, that's not talking about happiness from people standing around patting him on the back. This is an inner happiness. It's an inner contentment. It's an inner peace that nothing can take away from you. So if you have a bit of a problem this morning, if there's something nagging in your life that keeps you from being happy, then it's sin. It's sin. It's destroying the capacity for you to be happy. Because if you're dependent on any person or any set of circumstances to make you happy, then you're not living the Christian life. I spoke with a woman recently, a dear, wonderful friend, said, my son didn't speak to me for a couple of years. Uh, That happens sometimes. Children get alienated from their parents. So are you alienated from your children? Are you unhappy? Are you miserable because they won't speak to you or because they think bad of you? Are you unhappy because of something that your spouse did or something that happened at the office? To be unhappy means you focus on that and it makes you depressed. It makes you sad when you think about it. That's not the Christian life. That's not the way the Christian life is designed to be lived. And so the Christian life is so wonderful, so powerful. The world can't have what we have. We can have happiness in the midst of the most extreme circumstances. So there is a pseudo-happiness. You know, Satan, he, he, he sells that all the time. He will attempt to counterfeit the happiness that God has for you. He will attempt to counterfeit the contentment and the blessing that God offers to you, but he can't provide it. You see, pseudo-happiness can be, at best, some sort of stimulation, some sort of uh, fun, some sort of entertainment, Uh, something enjoyable, let's take a trip, I'm going to go on a vacation, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to be really happy. But that's that's not permanent happiness. That's a temporary stimulation. And it's only momentary, and it it depends on the circumstances and on the environment. It must be pleasant for you to be happy. So you can just see yourself, I'm going to go on a vacation to Florida, and I'm going to sit on the beach, and you're all excited, and you're all happy, and you get to Florida, and and it rains and storms every day, and a hurricane comes in. You can't even get out of your hotel room. And now you've spent a couple of thousand dollars getting to Florida, and you're miserable. See, you can be happy in spite of what the weather does. This type of happiness that we're talking about provided by Satan, this temporary pseudo-happiness is neutral age. It's for just the good times, but they're bad times. They're routine times. They're they're even dull times. And uh, you will never be sustained, never carried by past good times. Those things won't carry you in the hard times. This sort of neutral age, this pseudo-happiness, it it won't motivate you. It won't encourage you. 
when you're going through adversity or going through testing, instead of the real true happiness that Jesus Christ our Lord offers, the cosmic system, which is cosmos diabolicus, is the devil's world, it only offers a temporary fix and usually followed by some sort of self-misery because you are mad at yourself because you did that and maybe even some sort of divine discipline because what you did was a sin. You went out seeking happiness in the wrong places. This kind of happiness that I'm talking about, this true biblical happiness that the Lord Jesus Christ offers, plus H, it is not a various stimuli in your life. It's something that we have with us all the time, and it relates to the soul and to the spirit, not just the body. Your body's disposable. That's right, it's disposable. When you die, it's going back to dust. God uses your body now that you're here to house your soul and your spirit, but it's disposable. You're gonna get a new body, a different body, a resurrection body. So the capacity for happiness must precede you ever being happy to start with. If you don't have any capacity to have happiness, then you can't be happy. You know, a moral person and, and, and a person that regulates his life, works out, exercises, runs in great shape, has no body fat, they have some sort of temporary happiness. They look in the mirror, take a selfie of themselves, put it on Facebook, put it on Instagram, self-chat, whatever, and they say, my, don't I look good? I'm happy. And uh, then those of us that may have a little fat hanging off, we don't want to do that. We say, oh, if I do that, I'm not going to be happy. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Neutral age, temporary happiness is for the unbelievers who function under the laws of divine establishment. If a person's not a believer, if he's not a Christian, he can be happy if he follows the laws of establishment. There are four laws God set up for the orderly function of the human race. If a person's not a believer and he will live under those laws, he can have a temporary happiness. Those laws are volition. God designed you to be free to choose. Marriage, God designed it for all members of the human race, man and woman. God designed the family for the raising of the children, the family establishment. And then nationalism, God at the Tower of Babel separated the races so that everybody wouldn't be one race, one nation. So we have black people, white people, yellow people, red people, God separated all of us. And if we operate under the laws of establishment, you can have happiness, yes. Uh, but the believer who stays filled with the Holy Spirit on the other side of the coin, he's a Christian and he's filled with God's spirit. He doesn't have any unconfessed sin in his life. Then he can have the type of happiness I'm talking about, the perfect happiness, because that happiness can be enjoyed in the living stage of life and in the dying stage of life. If you have the perfect happiness I'm talking about when you live, then you will have perfect happiness when you die. Whether it's a prolonged and painful death or whether it's just one of those short, sweet, went to bed and woke up in heaven deaths, you know? The only difference is that in living, we use our volition. In dying, we don't. God chooses that. But to its full extent, we must use our volition. God selects the time and the place and the manner of our departure. That's his sovereignty. But while we're here, we can live poorly if we want to. We can, 
We can live in the devil's world. We can live under the influence of the cosmos diabolicus. We can have some neutral H uh, in living and neutral H in dying, not really God's happiness. Uh, and, and you wind up dying miserably because you have the mental attitude of panic. Then you start thinking about, oh, what's going to happen now? And it would intensify all your problems of guilt and pity and bitterness and fear and doubt. But it is possible to live a wonderful life and to die a wonderful death if you will use God's problem-solving device called plus H. It's a state of your soul, not something that somebody can do for you. And that plus H is an insulation against fear and against arrogance in your life. Job 5.17, happiness belongs to the man whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Discipline is designed by God to keep you on the right track so you can be happy. Not to make you unhappy, but to keep you from making yourself miserable. Sometimes we have to go through discipline to correct our course so we don't crash. But the plus H, sharing the happiness of God, it's the monopoly of a mature believer. It belongs to that man or that woman who grows spiritually, who takes in God's word consistently, who stays filled with the Holy Spirit, and who replicates Jesus Christ. For believers, they can have this sort of happiness, and, uh, and it will be consistent. But uh, for unbelievers, it's not possible. The unbeliever cannot concentrate on anything of the Word of God long enough to truly enjoy or learn or come to know what this really is. So this perfect happiness I'm talking about, 1 John 1, 4, we write these things so that our joy may be brought to completion. That's what John wrote. Happiness comes through the communication of God's Word by means of the filling of the Holy Spirit, and it is priceless, and it has to be completed. You have to learn the Word of God to be happy. Sharing the happiness of God can be defined as the happiness that the humanity of Jesus Christ experienced while he was here in the devil's world. During his time on earth, he had a lot of opposition, but he was never unhappy. It's the divine happiness resident in the soul of the believer. That's what it is. Jesus said, I've taught you these things in John 15, 11, in order that my happiness might be in you and that your happiness might be complete. That's God's plan for you, to be happy, not related to circumstances, not related to people, but related to the content of the Word of God in your soul that makes you rich, that gives you insight, knowledge, wisdom, understanding to see what's going on in the devil's world. I hope you're listening. I really hope you're learning, and I hope you'll come back next week. So until then, this is Rick Hughes, your host, saying thank you for listening to The Flotline. Thank you for listening to The Flotline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.